Turn in the Word of God, if you would, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I'll read the first ten verses, which will also be the text. You'll find that on page 1098. Luke 7, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one, the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You would think that a fellow like a centurion living in Israel would be quite a cocky, arrogant fellow. After all, he is a centurion, and that meant he had people under authority whom he could boss around. And not only that, he was a centurion of the mighty Roman Empire, and he was living in a subdued and conquered Israel. So you would think that he would walk around with a sense of bravado and arrogance. But actually, that's not what we see at all. In this centurion, we see a man of intense humility, a humility that leads him to faith in the Lord Jesus and a faith that even has Jesus marveling at. It is clear that the centurion was a good man, In fact, if you read through the Scriptures, almost all the centurions, if not all of the centurions in the Bible, are recognized as good people, noble, large-hearted people. And this was evident in this man's life. For instance, you could see it in the concern that he has for his servant, for his slave. That slave was sick and at the point of death, And he was highly valued by the centurion. Slaves were a dime a dozen in those days. He could have easily dispensed with the slave and got another. And if you know anything about the history of the world, you know that slaves have often been mistreated, even by those who would confess Christ. 
I was reading the other day in a biography of Robert Moffat, the great Scottish missionary to Africa. And he tells about uh, how he was leaving Cape Town, going north, and he stopped at the farm of a wealthy man, a man who had a lot of servants. And the farmer provided him with a meal, and hearing that Robert Moffat was a missionary, asked him if after the dinner he would lead them in a service of worship. And so Moffat did. After dinner, the psalm books were taken out, the Bible was opened, and as they began, Robert Moffat asked, where are the servants? He wanted them to sit under the ministry of the Word that evening as well. The patriarch of the family said, well, if you want people like that, we can go to the hills and mountains and call the baboons. Or, he said, actually, this is what we'll do as he turns to his sons, go outside and bring in the dogs. That will do. Moffat didn't say anything. He started the service, read a psalm. It was sung. And then he opened the scriptures to Matthew 15. And that's the story of the Syrophoenician woman, the one who came to Jesus for the healing of her daughter. And in that passage, there was this verse, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's tables. And then Moffat went on. It wasn't long until the farmer came under conviction just through the reading of that Scripture asked Moffat to pause, and then sent for the servants. First time most of them had been in his house. First time most of them had heard the gospel of Christ. People don't always treat their slaves well. And so when you see a centurion having concern for his servant who was at the point of death, that's quite a moving thing and speaks well of the centurion. But it isn't just that that commends him to our appreciation. He was also one who loved the Jewish nation. Now that in itself is astonishing too, because he's, our, he's a member, a centurion in the Roman Empire, and the Jewish nation is conquered by that. But he has an affection for the Jewish nation. It's probable that it's because he has some affection for the truth of the Word of God that he had heard from them. And not only does he love the Jewish nation, but he demonstrates that not just with his words, but with his actions. He is the one who built the synagogue in Capernaum. The Greek highlights that he himself built the synagogue, that it, he paid for all the supplies for its building. He's a good man. And it's no wonder that the religious leaders, the elders, who had been sent by the centurion to Jesus to ask for the healing of his servant, it's no wonder that they say to Jesus, he is worthy to have you do this for him. That is, this man deserves for you to do whatever he asks because of the character he has, because he's a good man. Of course, the religious leaders were operating under the assumption that God helps those who help themselves. That is the deserving who get God's grace, not the undeserving, but, but those who have it together, those who can offer him something, those who can commend themselves to God. And that's in light of everything that you read in the Scriptures to the contrary. 
Just remember what uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 147, that God's delight is not in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. That is, God is not impressed by the things that impress us. He doesn't give his help to those who can offer him some assistance. No, the Lord takes delight in those who fear him, in those who trust in his steadfast love. The religious leaders should have known this, that it wasn't because of who he was that would compel Jesus to bring blessing to him. It's not because he was worthy and deserving. Those kinds of arguments have no value or power with Jesus. But we understand why the religious leaders would do that, why they would think that God helps those who are deserving, because that is our default position. That's the way we tend to think, that God is kind to those who can offer him something. Well, it's no wonder, I say, that the religious leaders had a good opinion of the centurion, but it was an inaccurate assessment as far as Jesus is concerned. The centurion actually has a better assessment of himself. After the religious leaders, the elders, pleaded with Jesus to go and heal this servant, Jesus went with them. Ostensibly, it seems, because he agreed with their assessment, but not really. And when he was not far from the centurion's house, the centurion sent another delegation to Jesus. This time, it was his friends. And said to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. And so this centurion is having second thoughts. Not second thoughts about wanting his servant to be healed. He's unwavering in that. But he recognizes that Jesus doesn't have to come to his house in order for him to accomplish that. He sees in Jesus that Jesus is like him. And that he, as a Roman centurion, he tells people to do things, and they do it. He tells them where to go, and they go there. He tells them to come, and they do that as well. And, and Jesus doesn't have to come to his house. He just needs to say the word, and the servant will be healed. And Jesus doesn't end up going to the man's house, and indeed, the man's assumptions are found to be true. The servant was healed. No, it wasn't second thoughts about uh, whether the servant should be healed or not. He had second thoughts about whether Jesus should come into his house. And the reason he gives for his hesitation is this. He says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And he says it again in another way, which the ESV doesn't uh, clearly demonstrate. But he says in verse 7, where it says, therefore I did not presume to come to you, he's saying, really, that's why I didn't think myself worthy enough to come to you. That's why I sent the intermediaries. That's why the elders have come, and that's why my friends are now speaking to you, because I don't feel worthy enough to come. 
Now, I find this a very interesting assessment, that it is humility that keeps him from the Lord Jesus. Because you know that uh, it's usually pride that keeps people from coming to Christ. And you can imagine how this would work in the centurion's mind. I am a Roman centurion. I do not think that I ought to come begging of an itinerant prophet from a subdued and conquered people asking him for help. There's no way I'm going to do that. Who do you think I am that I would stoop so low to ask a lowly Jew to come heal my servant? Now, that's usually what keeps people from coming to Christ. It's their sense of self-worth, their assessment that they are too good for Jesus or They don't need Jesus because they've got everything in order. I go to church. I'm an elder in the church. My my parents and my grandparents, my family has been Christians for years. Whatever problems I might have with God are problems that I myself can take care of because I have the ability. I am good enough in myself to do that. There's no way I'm going to humble myself and come to Jesus. It's usually pride that keeps us from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you might know this in your own life before you came to Christ, or, or maybe even now you haven't come to Christ because you think you're okay the way you are, and that you can fix things. You'll be all right. There's no way you're bending the knee uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it isn't pride here. It's humility. The Jewish leaders say, he's worthy. His assessment is, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And the Jewish leaders were wrong. And the centurion was right. Because every sinner is unworthy of the grace of God. None of us can demand anything from the Lord. We can make no arguments as to why he should be gracious to us, why he should look upon us, why he should give us what we want. There's no way that we could come into the presence of God with a pompous, arrogant attitude and say, this is what we need and this is what you're going to give me. No, that wouldn't work at all. We're all unworthy. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us, if if God were to deal with us as our sins deserve, none of us would stand before the Lord, could stand before the Lord. The centurion is right. The Jewish leaders, being well-versed in the Scriptures, should have known better. But it was the centurion who knew the best. But it's not so much the centurion's assessment of himself that is important, nor our assessment of ourselves for that matter. What is more important is the centurion's assessment of Jesus. And if you look at his assessment of Jesus, you'll see that in a couple of ways he's a bit off, but in the most significant way he's spot on. Well, where is he off? Well, first of all, the uh, centurion didn't understand the approachability of the Lord Jesus. That comes across clearly. 
He didn't uh, come to Jesus on his own. He sent the elders of the people to Jesus so that they would speak on his behalf. And then later on, he sends his friends to go to speak to Jesus. He doesn't think that he himself could come to Jesus as he was. Now, of course, there's something commendable in that. Who, who, do, who do I think I am that, that Jesus would even have an audience with me? You, you can get why he would say something like that or why he would think that he doesn't deserve to come into the presence of the Lord Jesus. But what he misunderstood was that Jesus was more approachable than you could imagine, than he could imagine. He's more approachable than any of us could imagine. I mean, there is something, right, about the Lord Jesus. He's high and exalted. He sits at the right hand of the majesty until all his enemies become a footstool for him. He is the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. Of, of course, it, it, would be, it would be the height of pride to think that we could just prance into his presence and make demands on him. That's why in the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, they talk about praying to the saints and invoking the help of Mary to, to come into the Lord Jesus, to, to ask Mary, the mother of God, to pray for them. Because who am I? Why would the Lord Jesus listen to me? That's what they're thinking. And perhaps this is what the centurion is thinking as well. But as I say, his assessment of Jesus is off. The Belgic Confession says it so beautifully. And if I could encourage you at family worship today to read Article 26 of the Belgic Confession, the intercession of Christ. But this is, this is what, let me just give you one line of the Belgic Confession. Suppose we had to find another intercessor, you know, another go-between, another intermediary, like, like the centurion did. Suppose we had to find another intermediary. Who would love us more than he who gave his life for us, even though we were his enemies? Just glorious. Yes, the Lord Jesus is approachable. He welcomes sinners. Actually, that's, that's the accusation that was levied against Jesus in Luke 15 by the Pharisees. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, it's actually worse than that. It's not just that he welcomes them. It's not just that, that he sits there and says, listen, here I am. If you want to come, just come, and I'll welcome you. No, he actually sends for sinners to come to him. He sends his emissaries throughout all the nations and offers grace and blessing and freedom and liberty and life and happiness and joy to all sinners. That's the kind of Jesus we have, one who is eminently approachable. No, there's, there's nothing in you that should keep you from the Lord Jesus. He loves sinners. He invites them to come. His heart is always open to you. You come as you are with all of your sins and all of your depravity and all of the, the inability to conquer sin in your life. You come to Jesus, and he'll never turn you aside or throw you out or cast you away. He is so approachable. The centurion didn't know that sufficiently about Jesus. And not only is Jesus approachable, 
He's sympathetic. Now, now look what the centurion says there in verse 6. Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm a bother to you, and so uh, don't be bothered by me. You, you, you know, who am I to think that you should change your agenda for me? Don't trouble yourself. But Jesus is one who is willing to be troubled. No, it's actually better than that. It's not just that he's willing to be troubled. He actually troubles himself for sinners. That is, he wasn't forced to come from heaven to earth. He did that of his own free will. And he didn't have to die on the cross. He did that for the sake of his people. He, he knew what it would mean to, to come to earth. He, he knew that he would be scorned and ridiculed and misunderstood, that they would spit upon him, that the religious leaders would hand him over, that the Jews would clamor for his death. He knew all that. He knew the trouble that he would have to go through in order to be the redeemer of his people, and yet he troubled himself. He willingly came to earth in order to be their Savior. It's a marvelous thing. You might think that Jesus has no time for you, that he, he, he doesn't want to be bothered with you, that you are a bother to him. Well, we are a bother indeed, but it's a bother that he loves to be bothered with. He is so kind, so generous, so sympathetic, so willing to be troubled. In in fact, all the hard work that Jesus needed to do to accomplish our salvation, all the hard work has already been done. Now he just gets to apply the blessings that he has purchased by his death on the cross. You're no trouble to him at all. You come to Jesus with all of your needs, your brokenness, your ruin. Either come to Jesus for your own needs or for, like the centurion, for the needs of others. You come to him. You don't need to worry about whether he has time for you or concern. He is profoundly approachable and wonderfully sympathetic to those in need. So that's where the centurion was off. But he was spot on in this. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself. That's where he was off. But this part, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He says, I do not say the word, that's it, but say the word and let my servant be healed. He was spot on in his understanding of Jesus' mission. See, the way into this is is to read verse 8 carefully. So he says, uh, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. Now, you would think all he really needs to say is, I am a centurion and I have soldiers under me. And I tell them what to do and they do it. And so you have the power and authority similar to my power and authority. And so all you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. But that's not what he says. The centurion says, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. So not only do I have soldiers under me, I have someone 
above me. I am set under authority, and I have authority. And he's saying, I'm like you, Jesus. I, too, am set under authority and have soldiers under me. Now, what's he saying? I think what he's saying is that he has understood who Jesus was, and he understands that Jesus has been sent on a mission. He's under authority, and he has authority. Now, how did he learn this? Well, perhaps he learned it from reading the Scriptures. It's evident that he has contact with the religious leaders, and so uh, he built a synagogue, so he has some interest. So, so maybe he read it in the Scriptures. He could have read that from Isaiah 61. Or perhaps he heard about this from Jesus, because remember when Jesus began his ministry in Luke 4, he quoted from Isaiah 61. And what did Jesus say? Listen, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so what's Jesus saying? He says, I am under authority. I have been anointed by the Spirit of God, and I've been sent on a commission. I am here not just on my own will, but I'm here because the Father has sent me. I am under authority, His authority, to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, recovery of the sight. So Jesus says, I am on a commission by my Father in order that I might bring the blessings of the kingdom of God to a world under the curse of sin. That's what the centurion understood about Jesus. Not only that Jesus had authority, but that he came with the authority of the sovereign God, that God was kindly disposed to sinners, so kindly disposed that he sent his only begotten Son, anointed him with the Spirit of God in order to carry out the ministry of grace and mercy and reconciliation and blessing. That's what the centurion understood about Jesus. And that's why he came to Jesus, for his servants sickness, because he knew that the mission of Jesus sent by the Father was to roll back the effects of sin in this world and to bring life and freedom and prosperity and joy and blessing. That's why Jesus marveled at this man's faith at this man's insight into who Jesus was. And he turns to the crowds that followed him so that they wouldn't miss this. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. There was such a clear apprehension of who Jesus was, such a profound insight, of course, by the Spirit of God in the centurion as to who Jesus was that Jesus was under authority and had authority just like the centurion did. And Jesus used his authority for blessing instead of cursing, for salvation instead of judgment, for grace instead of wrath. That's who our Lord Jesus is. It's important for us to have a proper assessment of ourselves, to see ourselves as God sees us, 
And if we do, that will undoubtedly lead us to humility before Him. But it's even more important to have an accurate assessment of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because if you're wrong on Him, you'll be wrong on everything. And a proper assessment of the Lord Jesus is actually helpful to gain a proper assessment of yourself. And so, as Robert Murray McShane recommended to a believer, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at the Lord Jesus and see the Lord Jesus as gloriously approachable and as wonderfully sympathetic. You can come to him as you are, and he will receive you with grace. You can come to, if you've never come to Jesus, you can come to him, and he will receive you with grace. If, if you've come to him a thousand times, he's not going to turn you away. He's that approachable. He loves you enormously. And he is so sympathetic to all of our needs and concerns. There's no hardness, no harshness, no bitterness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's more, he's been commissioned by the Father to bring blessing to you. So that's what you need to do. Like the centurion, not like him through intermediaries, but just come to him as you are so that you might receive from his gracious hand blessing healing, restoration, salvation in all of its glorious fullness. Let's pray together. Our dear Father in heaven, what a Savior you've given to us. What a wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. So tender, so compassionate, and yet not a pushover. He's a man under authority and has authority. So he's able to do for us what we need to have done. So we thank you for that and pray that you'd grant us the faith to always come to the Lord Jesus in all of our need, whether we're children or adults, whether it's our own concerns or our concerns about others. Just teach us that the door to our Lord Jesus is always open and he welcomes us, he invites us to come to him. We pray for those who have never come, who uh, are kept away, whatever reason, for whatever reason, we pray that you would draw them to the Lord Jesus, that he might be attractive to them, that they might treasure him as their Savior and Lord. We pray that you would answer us in grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.